Good evening. Sorry, let me turn that around. That's better. Uh, yes, yes. No, just pride of Ohio State. That's, yeah. <clears throat> For those who don't have any idea what I'm talking about, the, today, Ohio State made it into the college football playoffs today. So it was a day of, um, well, about two minutes worth of rejoicing at our house, and then everybody got quiet so everybody could sleep. <clears throat> Well, let's get to our lesson for the night. I don't know how long it's going to be. I, I, to be honest with you, this, um, this section of 1 Timothy is, is pretty packed. I mean, it's only a few verses. We're only doing verses 8 through 11 tonight, but there's a lot in it. Uh, we're talking about a major issue that plagued uh, the early church, and it still really peaks its head up uh, every now and then in the church today. It's a, it revolves around a proper understanding of the law of Moses. Now, some Jewish Christians tried and tried to bind that law upon Gentile converts. And some Jewish Christians continued to observe certain parts of the law after becoming Christians. Now, we read about a lot of these things throughout the book of Acts, and we'll mention a few of them this evening. But this issue isn't reserved just for the book of Acts. It sparked the writing of several other epistles from Paul to the churches in Rome, Galatia, Colossae, and and if Paul is indeed the writer of the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews as well. And we see here in Paul's letter to the young preacher Timothy that this was also an issue in the church at Ephesus where Paul had left Timothy. Now, as I mentioned, this problem often exists today where people fail to understand the, the purpose and limitations of the law or they use the law in ways that are not lawful. Paul's lesson to the young preacher that we'll cover this evening regarding the lawful use of the law, uh, and we're going to do that by looking at Paul's words throughout the uh, New Testament, uh, along, of course, with what he teaches here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-11. through 11. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, keep up with this, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. These verses lay out that teaching a doctrine that approves of or supports sin, and he gets very specific, sexual immorality, homosexuality, slavery, lying, etc. Not only are these things ungodly and sinful, but teaching these things or using the law to support or accept these sinful things is contrary to sound doctrine. So the law is good if it is used lawfully. This indicates that the law can be used improperly, right? Let's look at a few ways at how the law can be used lawfully. The first way is if it's used for wisdom regarding salvation. This is something that uh, Paul also points out to Timothy in his second letter to the young preacher in chapter 3. I forgot to change the verse number. That's chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. 
But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, and this is a common one that we read a lot, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul refers to the Scriptures that Timothy grew up learning. The sacred writings refers to the Old Testament, the Septuagint that Timothy was likely well-versed in. And that Septuagint, of course, includes the Law of Moses. We study the Old Testament and the law to better understand Christ and His role within our salvation. Of course, our salvation would not be possible without Christ. Without the prophecies and the law held within the Old Testament, there is no Christ. Without those prophecies, without the law for Christ to fulfill, there is no Messiah. Because the law and the prophets, through God, established the coming Messiah and the need for one as well. And that's an important part of it, and that's why we study the Old Testament. Now, reference to the Old Testament is often used in Scripture discussing the nature of salvation. Philip did this with the eunuch in Acts chapter 8, and it's something that James refers to at the conference in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. Listen to this, and we'll reference this back here in a little bit as well. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from old, from of old. James points out from the Old Testament that God came first to the Gentiles and then out of them he called his people. That's Abraham. He quotes this, by the way, verse 16 through 18. It's a quote from Amos. How many of you have read Amos? Well, Amos is one of the minor prophets and our next sermon series is going to be focused on the Minor Prophets. It's called Major Truths from the Minor Prophets. Now, this truth that James cites leads him to rebuking those who would turn away Gentile converts because of their failure to observe the Law of Moses. So in this interaction, we actually see a lawful use of the law and an unlawful one. James used used it lawfully to bring about understanding of salvation and who it is available to, meaning everybody. It wasn't just available to the Jews, but it was also available to the Gentiles as well through Christ. Now, the unlawful side were the Jewish converts who had been unlawfully using the law in order to ostracize Gentile converts or push them away. That was the unlawful use. Now, while we can learn much about our salvation from the law, we can also use it for doctrinal matters. There is much that we can learn about God in the Old Testament. The psalmist uh, regularly depicts God's omnipotence, um, omnipresence, and omniscience. 
The psalmist also covers a lot. God's forbearance and mercy. His justice and righteous irritation. I like using righteous irritation instead of righteous indignation. Because irritation just drives it home a little bit. Because I think we all get irritated on a daily basis, don't we? And God has a right to be irritated as well. Also in the Old Testament, we find how God is at work in the affairs of nations and men. The book of Daniel is pretty much all about that. We studied Daniel um, for a long time, several months, and covered that thoroughly. There's so much that we can learn about mankind from the Old Testament as well. Our origins, the uh, eventual fall of man, the sin that caused it, the impact of sin on man in the world, the weakness of man, and the need for redemption. So we can use the law to teach us about God and the need that we have for Christ. And as we read a few minutes ago, the law, just as the rest of Scripture, can be used lawfully for reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. The law contains time-honored principles of righteousness that were reiterated time and again throughout the New Testament. In fact, Jesus and the apostles appealed to the Old Testament when admonishing Christians or converts regarding the basic principles of righteousness. Jesus used it to rebuke the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus also used the Old Testament, by the way, to rebuke Satan. The question is, why would they use the law like this within the New Testament? If the New Testament is supposed to be what we're supposed to follow, why are they using Old Testament teaching? Because when they taught it, the only Bible that they had was the Old Testament. They had the Septuagint. These were the sacred writings that they had access to. The teachings that we see throughout the New Testament, we have from the Septuagint. It's the Old Testament teaching And then, added into that, is the apostolic witness of the gospel. Today we have both the Old and the New Testament from which we can gain a full knowledge for reproof, correction, and instruction. This is why Paul exhorts Timothy in his second letter that all Scripture is useful for this. Not just the things that he's writing in his letter, not just the things that other people have written, but things that have been written well before that in the Old Testament. Did Paul have any inclination that his letter would eventually end up in the sacred writings of man? We don't know for sure, but it's possible the Holy Spirit may have insinuated that in some way when he wrote those verses. Now the law reveals much, of course, about sin, the nature of God, our need for redemption. So, of course, the law is useful, uh, is used lawfully, rather, when we learn from it and use it properly to admonish just as the apostles and Christ did in their time. As Paul writes, and and we see here, the law is indeed good if it is used lawfully, which again indicates that the law can be used unlawfully. So, let's look at some of the ways the law can be used unlawfully. Pros and cons. The first of which, Paul outlines in verses uh, 6 and 7 of chapter 1 that we covered last week. Let me read that for you real quick. Certain persons, by swerving from these, uh, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law, 
without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Paul calls it vain discussion or idle talk. And in Titus chapter 3, verse 9, he writes, Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So the law can be used unlawfully if it is used for foolish arguments. So many false teachers appeal to the Old Testament to rationalize their false teaching. It's a tactic used by false teachers that Paul is addressing with Timothy and Titus and and another of his uh, other uh, epistles. It's a tactic that's used by false teachers today. And it was a tactic that was used by Satan himself against Christ when he tempted him in the wilderness. This unlawful use of the law is closely tied to using the law for vindication from sin. That is, using the law to free one from sin. Using the Old Testament to do that. It's something that the teachers were doing to the Gentile converts back in Acts chapter 15 by demanding that they be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. That's what led to the council in Jerusalem and ultimately to what James said that we covered earlier. The reason this is so dangerous is twofold. Paul Paul details both reasons in Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, Paul writes, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. By using the law of Moses to vindicate one from sin, it means Jesus died in vain. If the law was able to free one from sin, then Jesus was not needed. Do you see now why it's important to study the Old Testament? So that we understand why we need Christ. In fact, using the law in this way separates man from Christ, as Paul then writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, where he writes, You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Now something tied to that would be binding feasts and Sabbaths onto the Gentile converts as well. Now it's pretty evident through Paul's writings, through uh, the different letters that he wrote, that he had no problem with the observing certain elements of the law for personal uh, reasons, as a personal matter, while the temple was still standing. But as soon as attempts were made to bind these same things onto the Gentile Christians, Paul drew a sharp line. In uh, Galatians chapter 2, Paul details Titus, who was a Greek, was not compelled to be circumcised. This is something that the Jewish converts were pushing on the Gentiles, that they needed to be circumcised according to the law. What they failed to recognize, though, is that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ broke down the law which separated the Jew from Gentile. And what separated Jew from Gentile? Circumcision. The old was replaced with the new through Christ. Dietary restrictions, festivals, feasts, etc., those are not required under Christ. And any attempts to bind them on the church or on the Christian would be categorized as unlawful use of the law. A lot of that has to do with the authority of Christ the authority of the apostles that Christ gave to them as well in matters of New Testament Christianity and matters of spreading the gospel. 
Which brings us to our last point. Using the law for authority in worship is unlawful. Some have gone to the law to justify various practices in their worship, like having a separate priesthood, having fathers, wearing special clothing, the building of temples. There are some who also appeal to the law to justify the burning of incense, instrumental music, and in some cases, animal sacrifice. But the new covenant made by Jesus' blood ushered in a more spiritual worship rather than a worship of works, if you will. It's what we've been studying in our Wednesday night Bible class. And if you haven't joined us yet for that, I encourage you to do so. It's been a great study thus far. Right now we are focusing on worship and our authority for it. Uh, This week we're in chapter 8. If you don't have a book, there's two up here still uh, on the Lord's Supper. But worship under the law of Moses was different than what was prescribed in the New Testament. Listen to how it's described in Hebrews chapter 9. The writer begins uh, this section by uh, detailing Old Testament worship according to the law. And then he says, By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. The old is no longer acceptable to God because the curtain, that which separated the worshiper from the worship, is gone. The first part, the first section, and he says in verse 9, is no longer standing. There is no longer that separation. The worship authorized in the law is now insufficient. Turning to the law for authorization for any practice in worship fails to recognize that the time of reformation has come, and we are in it. Paul wrote to the Romans that the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. While the law is holy, it has its limitations. It was designed to be temporary until Christ came. The law could not provide true redemption from sin. If it could, then Christ was not necessary. Redemption from sin came through Christ's sacrifice. Thereby, the law of Moses is not able to make one righteous today. Our understanding an application of the law must be governed by and in harmony with the sound doctrine, as Paul, or as Paul details here, uh, the sound doctrine and gospel teachings of the apostles. Paul's exhortation right there at the end of uh, this section, in, uh, verses 9 through 11, reads, The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. That statement, that statement right there covers a lot. He's very specific leading up to that, but then he leaves the door wide open for things that are not sound doctrine. And he continues, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. It is Christ who removes sin. It is Christ who justifies and sanctifies the penitent sinner. 
And tonight, you have the choice to obey and be baptized for the remission of your sins. If there's any other need that the church can assist you with, and if you wish to be baptized, now is the time that you can come forward while we stand and sing.